0: So today's theme is talking about repentance from guilt to grace. And the Bible reading is about the story when Jesus healed the paralysed man. Um, It's also known as Through the Roof as well. And that's what the activities are based on um, in the folders today and um, in the activity area down there. But what jumps out at you when you read this story in Mark. For me, I love the way that Jesus sees things. He sees the faith of the four friends. He sees the man in front of him. I would have loved to find out have found out the backstory of that particular man. I think it would be really intriguing. Yet instead of doing the obvious. Jesus does something extraordinary. He forgives him. He breaks the chains of guilt. I would have loved to have actually had a chat with that man right then and then, then and there to know how he felt. He didn't finish there. Jesus obviously continued on and healed him. And that man went away healed in both body and in soul. What jumps out in the reading today for you? This reading is written in Mark chapter 2, reading from verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.' To say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, "Whoa, we have never seen anything like this <laughs> i 'd have loved to have been there that day uh, we 've got a video."
1: Dear Grace to you and Peace, Good Shepherd, from God the Father and the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? It's an oldie but a goodie, and do you know the answer? came to Good Shepherd about 23 years ago, for the first time, and uh, your congregation was holding a conference. On all things, change. Um, you were calling it transitioning your church into the 21st century, and uh, it was very exciting, uh, being 1999 and what you know a changed church might look like. And um, so, my question to you, Good Shepherd, 23 years later, well into the 21st century, have you changed yet? the conference itself changed uh, my life like I was truly inspired and uh, we were from Sydney originally and then the following year we decided to uh, pack up move to Adelaide I studied theology for five years all because of you Um, and I became a pastor and so this kind of represents The full circle. Now I'm coming back to Good Shepherd to talk about change. So that's what we've got today. One of the words that the scriptures uses to talk about change is repentance. That's a a spiritual change. You're familiar with that word um, as Christians. Um, But what it really means is to change one's mind. Uh, we often consider the term as one that describes spiritual change in Christians and all the associated actions. I mean, a whole entire new way of seeing the world, an entire new way of understanding our relationship with God, an entire way of appreciating the power of the gospel and how that changes our attitude, invites us into a more Christ-like state of being and living and all of that, all the ways in which our lives are touched by the gospel in a way that it isn't just our mind, but our hearts and our hands and our bodies and, um, and everything that becomes changed. I would like to take that term, put a little twist on it, okay? Um, the repentance of God, not the, not the repentance God is giving to you, Um, But the repentance God is making, you know, as he changes his mind, Um, it's interesting that in the scriptures, God does change his mind. If you read it uh, literally, there's plenty of times where God says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm really mad and I'm going to do some, you know, I'm going to wreak some havoc and punishment here and um, various actors in the scriptures say, hey, God, you know, might not be such a good idea, and God actually changes his mind. But it's not those um, things that I'm making reference to so much as the story of God and the way in which there seems to be this trajectory that is always moving towards this massive change called the gospel, which, which is the change, but then it changes everything. I mean had Jesus himself entered into the world just to say to everybody hey this uh this thing that you're doing this this religion you know this this relationship between God's people and God it's all good you've got it all sorted there's nothing here to change well done and he slaps everyone on the back and says keep up the good work no no That ain't it at all. There is a change. Jesus enters into the world to do something extraordinarily different. And I was reading in Mark chapter 2 just recently as part of our studies here at Cornerstone. um, And I noticed how Jesus isn't backwards at all in coming forwards in what he thinks about The religion of his time, and those who, I guess, control the machinations of that religion. And how he decides that it needs just a little bit of a, a makeover. Three unapologetic, pretty serious changes of course. Can that be repentance? In the story of God, a change of course brought in by Jesus Himself. It's a formidable opening to the very first gospel ever written. Okay? And this is only in the second chapter. And right there, Jesus begins this dialogue with um, three of the biggest, fattest religious elephants in the room. What am I referring to? Well, these really religious, enthusiastic elephants, indoctrinated and of one mind, Okay, and Jesus, mind you, was coming to teach all three of them to roll over and play dead. How's that for an image? I'll get to the elephants in a minute. But what if in the middle of this new... Jesus elephant training program. The elephants in the room just completely lose it. They lose the plot. Change? No. We got this sorted, Jesus. They lose it. They begin to romp and stomp around the, the circus ring in a bid to tear down the entire tent that God was pitching in the world anyway so what are these three elephants I'm talking about because these are the three elephants I'm talking to you about over three weeks elephant number one everyone must always be sticking to God's rules elephant number two some people no matter what will never really be good enough for God. And elephant number three, the guilt of not being good enough defines you forever. Well they're the three elephants they're the ones that Jesus encounters. If you don't believe me read Mark chapter 2. I'll share a little bit about that over the next few weeks. The three big nasty elephants, Jesus there with his chair and a whip not really, maybe, sometimes but with really radical life threatening for himself left hand turns or oh, sorry, left hand turns that remarkably came to define a faith that he's even brought you into Good Shepherd this morning From guilt to grace From law to love From lost to life Um, Apologies for the bad cardboard Um, I only thought about doing this on the way to Paravissa this morning And I found two pieces of cardboard So um, I was going to write some other things on some other bits of cardboard um, probably the preambling question to this one is which, which of those two which of those two defines you more? Which of those two do you think about more? Which of those two is the thing that you carry with you every day as the thing that makes you who you are. I was saying also earlier that maybe, maybe it's the guilt. I don't know where that guilt comes from, whether it's your family or perhaps your colleagues or your neighbours maybe comes from God maybe just the way in which you understand what God is saying to you in your life that it's the guilt that really is the thing that's defining you Maybe it's just that little voice in your head. It's called the conscience. Maybe, maybe that little voice, even just cheekily, every now and again, makes guilt a thing. We're human beings. Last time I checked. Being human comes with all of the things that will make us feel real guilt. Maybe not every day. But perhaps at least one day a week. Or maybe not that often. But you know when it's there, because it crushes you. It just smashes you. And so as human beings... We deal with this thing called guilt. But then, hey, there's good news. Because last time I checked also, I think Good Shepherd Paravista is a Christian church. Loosely related, perhaps. Depends on who you talk to. No, I'm just joking. So you've got humans with guilt. And then you've got the Christians over here. Of course! Oh, yeah, we love to talk about the the flip side, because grace, you know, which is good, right? But is it the thing? Then, what comes between being human and being Christian? We're Lutherans. What what does being Lutheran mean? Which, Which defines us more? I wonder, if I asked you, even if, Let's just make it a rhetorical question. Just contemplate it in your heart for a moment. You. You. Which is the thing that you carry each day? More. I really love the idea that sometimes I get in big trouble for. And that is to think of God as someone who changes his mind. Because you can't do that. God, theologically and scripturally and biblically, you know, he doesn't change. God is God. And we are us. And there's got to be a difference. And one of those differences is that God's image and trajectory and just the way in which God is God is that it's set in stone. But and that's I think what I was trying to say a little earlier if you recognize me, the the hat guy um, (laughs) that the story of God has this repentance bit in it, not our repentance, but God's repentance, because God is changing his mind. It's like he's writing the story and he goes, Oh, hang on a second, I've got a, you know, the, the Jesus bit. And we either appreciate the Jesus bit as just the rubber stamping of everything that's gone before, or we say, Hey, maybe God hasn't changed, but his story has taken a huge left hand turn. And I noticed it in Mark chapter 2. And I'm going to come back, if you have me, like, Seriously, because I could get a phone call during the week, and I'm not even kidding. Um, but if I do come back, there's three stories in Mark chapter 2 that hit me in the face. Like I said, we were studying it, and like in one little session, I realised Jesus was just going head-to-head with religion. The religion that had been laid out in the scriptures and all the really smart people who you know were saying well this is what our religion is and who the hell do you think you are because Jesus isn't kind of you know playing the game please read Mark chapter 2 and the rest of the New Testament but Mark chapter 2 it starts out with this story of the paralysed man and you want guilt? Okay, in 21st century Australia, especially if you're at Good Shepherd because you guys have all sort of transitioned so well into the 21st century, we don't kind of guilt trip people who are unwell. But guess what? What? first century palestine all you had to do was sneeze and you were cast out go go over there somewhere we don't want you as part of this cuz we're all clean god is making us clean and jesus steps into that world he says you know what let's make a few changes And this paralysed man, right at the beginning, comes to Jesus, the guiltiest of them all, his entire existence, his whole body, exemplary of the guilt that he carries as a human being in that world that Jesus is now stepping. And it's extraordinary what happens. Because we know that not only in Mark 2, but in many other places throughout the Scriptures, Jesus does something that we can't do. We can't take that pain. We can't take that less-than-human quality, if that's how they were perceiving it. We can't take that disease we can't take that guilt away. We can't do it. We see that Jesus can do it. We see it in many places. And so, okay. Jesus, here we go. Mark chapter 2. We're straight into it. Let's heal this man who carries it all. Let's give him a new life. A new start. But what I notice, and what he gets in trouble for, isn't the healing. Because he does heal the man. But before he heals the man, before he addresses what is the guilt of the outside, the exterior, Jesus, I don't even know why he does it. I mean, if you read that passage, as good as Georgie did to try and unpack the way in which Jesus looks at people, I still don't get how he could just see the connection between the guilt of who this man was and why he would first say, you're forgiven. Jesus doesn't start on the outside. And that's good news to me sometimes. Because when it's not, it's just because I'm being, I'm forgetting how good that news is. Because every single day, I am less than that which I could be. I fail every single day. Just ask my wife. She'll tell, you, she'll tell you over a coffee okay as a father as a husband as a son I'll tell you where I really fail as a pastor as a chaplain all these things God is calling me into I find myself constantly questioning my own exteriors, all the ways in which I present in life. And maybe, just maybe, as well as you have changed and transitioned into the 21st century, just maybe in your life you might feel that pain as well. That's okay. Because as you're brought into this place, Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven. He means it. And it's real. And it's change. And you are repented by the repentance of God. From guilt to grace. Amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.